I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. In Washington, it's been decided that individuals who practice faith healing instead of seeking medical attention will be exempt from the health care laws insurance requirement under legislation passed on Tuesday. The bill would exempt Americans who notify the IRS that covered health care would violate their sincerely held religious beliefs. Illinois Congressman Aaron Schack said insincere applicants would forfeit the exemption and be fined if they sought medical medical treatment voluntarily. Yesterday saw the first anniversary of the election of Pope Francis and on Tuesday good news for one Catholic priest was revealed in a statement from the Catholic Communications Office. Tomorrow, Father Eugene Boland, parish priest of Kappa Kili Tlaher in the Diocese of Derry, will resume the public exercise of the priestly ministry from which he stepped aside on the 15th of August 2010 on foot of allegations made against him. Legal proceedings in both the civil courts and in in a church canonical process have been completed and the result now is that Father Boland can return to the role from which he stepped aside until these matters were carefully and completely investigated. Many tributes were paid this week to campaigner for the survivors of religious institutional abuse, Christine Buckley, who died on Tuesday and was buried yesterday. Tributes by people as diverse as the Archbishop of Dublin, Dr Dermot Martin, and the Chairman of the Ryan Commission, Mr Justice Sean Ryan. Jerry McArdle spoke by phone to activist and regular Godslot contributor Mary Collins to get her reaction. She changed everything. She persisted. She wouldn't let go. She was tenacious. She fought against all the denials. And it wasn't only the denials of the church. Uh, Society wasn't prepared to believe that these sort of things could have gone on in the institutions or could have been the appalling abuses be carried out by people within the church. But Christine just wouldn't take no for an answer. And despite all the denials, she, she simply kept battering away. And eventually succeeded where others had failed before her. Mary, if you could say a few words or address a few words to Christine now, what would you say? If I could speak to Christine now, I'd say what I I said to her in person, and that is to thank her for what she did for so many, uh, so many people who didn't have a voice, who couldn't raise their voice, or who had not survived to be able to raise their voice. Christine spoke for them, and she spoke in the most powerful way, and she'll never be forgotten for that, I don't think. Mary Collins paying tribute to the late Christine Buckley, er Yeshje Gareva Hanum. We're now into the second week of Lent, a time of penance and reflection for Roman Catholics and other Christians. Traditionally, people observe this time of preparation for Easter by praying and fasting. But as we know, times and traditions change. So last weekend, Avril Hoare took to the streets of Dublin to ask people if Lent still mattered to them and if so, why? The Herald leads today with the story, which is also covered elsewhere this morning, about how Raheen Gwaleskull in Limerick is to ballot parents to change the date of this year's Holy Communion because it clashes with the One Direction concert in Crow Park. Last October, a school in Limerick balloted parents on whether to change the date that had been set for children to receive Holy Communion the following May. The reason? It clashed with a One Direction concert in Croke Park and some parents wanted the date changed. 
a vote was held. The original date stands. Could this story be a small snapshot of Ireland today? An Ireland that is becoming more secular? If so, where does Lent fit in? Are people giving things up for Lent or giving up on Lent? I'll give them smoking, yeah. yeah. And why do you do it? Why do you pick Lent to do it? Uh, it just gives you a bit of inspiration, that's all. Yeah, I get it from Facebook because I'm constantly on it, so... <laughs> Just as a traditional thing, you know, other girls in my school would be doing it, so... It's more like traditional as well, like sort of an excuse to give something up. I've sort of tried to start eating more healthy. When I think of Lent, I don't associate it with um, the way what happened, Jesus is in the yeah. desert or whatever, but yeah, it's it's more everyone else is doing it and... It just means giving up something that you really like. Um, chocolate sweets and crisps for me. Uh, I didn't give anything up. Does Lent mean anything to you? Not in a religious way, but it's kind of just a reason, because I appreciate sort of religious significance behind why people give up something. It's just about giving up something, and hopefully not something superficial, just like chocolate or something. It's something a bit more appreciation of really, like a friend of mine at school gave up her bed for Lent, so she slept on the floor. That's what Lent means to me, something not that's just like, I'll not eat chocolate, but I'll eat more crisps. It's about giving up something actually meaningful to appreciate that like so many people go without and suffer all the time. We wouldn't be very religious now. We're starting on Monday. We're starting next Monday. We said we'd give up something. And what are you going to give up? I'm giving up bread and I'm giving up sweets and I'm giving up chocolate. And what do you know about Lent? Well, I know it's every... Uh, every Ash Wednesday, you have to start being healthy. What about you? Does that mean anything to you? Um, not as much as it used to. Uh, I suppose I don't really think about it anymore or give anything up. Whereas one time I would have maybe give up, tried to give up chocolate or something for the few months, but not so much anymore. And why do you think that that change has happened? People are turning away from the church more and only kind of using it for marriage and christenings and things like that, and they don't really think about it much anymore. Uh, for myself, it doesn't really mean too much. Why is that? Uh, I'm not a religious person. To me, sort of Lent and Easter and that, there, it's just another day. I'm an atheist, so there's no point for me to give anything up. As a kid, would you have? Yes. I, I was raised Catholic by my parents and I went to religious schools. Will you eat eggs on Easter Sunday? I can never give up chocolate now. Yeah. What about yourself? Does Lent mean anything to you at all? No, I was um, brought up uh, Seventh-day Adventist and we never really practiced Lent. And what about the idea of, say, having a period for reflection, for penance, for sacrifice, yeah. as a concept? I think it's a great concept and uh, it'd be good to have a sort of a uh, fasting, like one day every so often, just to sort of appreciate the small things we do have in life and not take them for granted. Would you have got ashes? Yeah, no, I go out my way, like I went to the... In college, they were given ashes, so I went and got some. Like so. And would you do something during Lent? Either give something up or take something up? Yeah, no, I'm giving up jellies, <laughs> and just eating healthier or whatever. But and why is that? I feel like you have to sacrifice something. I don't know. I just feel like everyone should uh, get, at least try their best to give up something and to like to go to mass as much as they could and take, get ashes and that. And what does it mean to you? Uh, it just means that like we all have like the. As like a lot of like privileges in our life, so we need to like give up something to make it a bit harder for us to like live and survive. And what have you given up? Uh, well, sugar in my tea, and which is hard. Ah yes, sugar. An English friend of mine said he could always spot an Irish Catholic. None of them took sugar in their tea. 
People are still making sacrifices during Lent, but why? Has Lent become the equivalent of the pre-Christmas diet, a good opportunity to lose a bit of weight before indulging in chocolate on Easter Sunday? Or are people denying themselves because they believe it's a good thing to do? I find there's no point in giving up something that's easy. I think you should have to do something that really is a big effort, big struggle. And I'm addicted to chocolate, you know, sweet things, so I'm trying, but I'm tempted, I say, no, I won't have it. I think that, you know, I think the Lord's been very good to me, give me that I feel you have to do. I think it's good for both mind and body. I tried to give up chocolate and it didn't work. And yeah, I fell the second day, so it didn't work for me. Yeah, I tried to give up chocolate as well, uh, and we broke it this morning yeah. on the train, uh, so. Yeah, so <laughs> but does Lent mean anything to you anymore? Um, not really, no. I think whenever I was younger, it was a big deal because it was like, oh, what am I going to give up for Lent? But now it's probably not that big of a deal anymore. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I wouldn't be particularly religious anyway, so it wouldn't really be that significant to me at all. Not so much about giving up stuff as kind of trying to do other things, new things maybe. But um, And how, what have you tried to do? Uh, just kind of eat a little bit healthier, maybe study for my final exams a bit more but actually try and put in there for maybe an hour a day or something like that. Does Lent mean anything to you? Um, yes and no as in I do it every year but it's more for like I go off sweets and stuff more for health things than uh, religious reasons. Um, no I haven't actually given up anything for Lent in a good few years now to be honest with you. Why is that? Um, just never fe felt the need to to be honest you know. I'd say the last thing I gave up was sugar when I was a, a, a say maybe a teenager, even before that, you know, but other than that, no, I haven't given up anything, you know. Well, it's a time to think, maybe even about the previous year, what you should have done, a time of, um, as I say, just to think and how you could improve your own life. It's not always about giving things up, maybe it's a case of more what you can do, you know, and maybe spend that bit of time reflecting on things I try to go to church and just uh, even spend quiet it doesn't have to be in church it's just uh, spend a bit of time looking at your life um, I suppose it's just something that we've always done and, and it's just a time of a bit of penance and sacrifice something really and just to think about your faith a bit more can I ask you both now you're off the sweets are you yeah. trying to eat healthily you're off Facebook have either of you broken it so far? And we're only, what, four days into Lent? Uh, yeah, I woke up like the first morning and I just subconsciously went onto Facebook. I was like, that's it, broken. So I'm starting a new now. <laughs> yeah, last night, <laughs> some chocolate. That report was by Avril Hoare. Monday next is St. Patrick's Day. The New York St. Patrick's Day Parade has always gained attention from all over the world, billed as the biggest and best celebration of all things Irish. But this year the parade has made headlines for other reasons, with the refusal of Mayor Bill de Blasio to follow tradition by marching down Fifth Avenue. His reasons are based on the fact that the LGBT community are not allowed to participate under their own banner. The organisers claim that this is because the parade is a private religious celebration. We did ask them to participate in this piece, but they failed to respond. Rona Tarrant now reports from New York. When Bill de Blasio boycotts the New York parade this St. Patrick's Day, he'll be the first mayor in over 20 years not to march. 
No, I'm not planning on uh, marching in the parade. I haven't in the past. I simply disagree with the organizers of that parade. His decision has been a hugely controversial one that's led to a ripple effect of public officials who refuse to support one of New York's longest and proudest traditions. At the heart of the debate is whether or not the LGBT community should be allowed to march under their own banner. And arguments on both sides all seem to lead to one point. Is St. Patrick's Day a celebration of Irishness, or is it, as the name suggests, a private religious occasion? I met J.F. Mulligan at the LGBT Centre in Manhattan. He's second-generation Irish and has been protesting at St. Patrick's Day parades since the early 90s. In 1992, um, I was involved with an organisation called the Irish Lesbian and Gay Organisation, and we applied to Mar... was a, a group of mostly Irish immigrants at the time and a few Irish-Americans, and uh, we applied to march in the St. Patrick's Day parade. And that was when it all began because the parade organiser said that there was a list that you had to wait on the waiting list in order to get in, and then the mayor said, okay, well, how long is the list if we just accommodated it by giving the uh, permit for a longer time to march on Fifth Avenue? And then they said, actually, there's no list. <laughs> the debate went all the way to the Supreme Court, where it was ruled that it was the organisers' first amendment right to dictate who they allowed to march. The St. Patrick's Day Parade is a celebration of the uh, New York particularly, but Irish-American Catholic tradition. That's John McCarthy. He's a professor at Fordham University and a New Yorker. He's also Irish-American and believes that the parade should remain as it is. I mean, it, it's, it's not the Irish national holiday. It's an Irish religious feast. Uh, if it was the Irish national holiday, I'm quite sure most of the Irish politicians who always come out here would be home in Ireland. So, so I mean, it, it has to be seen as a religious feast rather than a national feast or necessarily a cultural or ethnic feast. Gay people aren't actually banned from marching in the parade. They can march as part of sports clubs or city officials. They just can't march under their own banner. Uh, I think the parade has been run very well in the past number of years. The people selected as grand marshals have been very representative figures, uh, men, women, uh, labor union people, church people, business people, educators. Uh, and and the, you know, the, the parade doesn't keep anyone away, but it doesn't, doesn't want anyone using the parade to advance an agenda. But for many in the LGBT community and beyond, this isn't enough. Well, that's interesting to talk about the banner issue because it's really um, misunderstood. There are over 350 banners in the parade, and people identify themselves as nurses and step dancers and Irish speakers and schools and every other way, union organizers, policemen, fire in bands, all sorts of things. The only banner that is not allowed is an LGBT-identified banner. And I'm saying, as a member of the Irish-American community, that's the way I want to identify. That's, it's not what I do, it's who I am. It's part of my identity, as if I was a step dancer, as if I spoke Gaelic. One parade in which everyone was welcome was the St. Pat's for All, held just outside Manhattan in Queens a few weeks ago. From Ireland, from Boston, from Washington and from New Jersey, everybody is welcome. And Staten Island especially, there are people here excluded from their own parades on Staten Island and in Boston. Terry McGovern was chosen as Grand Marshal and she explains how she got involved. Uh, year, I'm a lawyer and years ago I actually represented Brendan Fay, who's one of the primary organisers of St. Pat's for All. 
he had been fired from the Catholic school where he worked for uh, kind of being seen marching with uh, the gay contingency. And I took his case and got to know and love Brendan and have kind of followed along all these years, the St. Pat's for All, the evolution of the parade. The people who oppose gay participation in the parade say, just march. Why do you have to identify yourself as gay? This is religion. This is about our heritage. The parade is about Irish identity, not sexuality. These arguments just don't stand up. If you're not interested in our sexuality, then let us march with the banner of LGBTQ. Let us say who we are. The parade is now in its 15th year, and this was the most significant, with Mayor de Blasio making an appearance to show his support. This is a parade that celebrates inclusion, diversity, unity. That is what this city is about. That is what has made this city strong. And as someone who's worked in human rights for many years, Terry sees this as something deeper than just a banner. I see it as completely archaic. I mean, you know, religion is a complex, evolving thing. And to, you know, use religion to discriminate in New York City on Fifth Avenue when you're claiming that St. Patrick's Day is the day that everybody's Irish, St. Patrick's Day is the day that we celebrate our heritage, to say that you aren't Irish or you can't celebrate your heritage or you're not part of the culture because of because you're LGBT um, is completely archaic and right now we see discrimination kind of exploding against LGBT communities all over the world Uganda, Nigeria, we saw it in Russia, all over so it's a very dangerous thing to say it's okay to discriminate on the basis of religion. So I not only see it as archaic, I see it as hugely problematic and something that cannot continue to be allowed to go on. Mm. What about the argument that it's a religious parade? I think, you know, there's probably many people who march in that parade who do things that are contrary to the religion, but they're not policed out of the parade. I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's it's quite a hypocritical argument. I mean, it's, it's, you know, how are they policing people's compliance with religion, all the other people who march? Bill de Blasio has resisted calls to take the protest to the next level by barring all workers from marching in their uniforms. But for the time being, mayor or no mayor, the parade will go ahead. As for its significance, that remains to be seen. Well, I understand where he's coming from, but I think he should be a little bit more diplomatic. Uh, People who might even agree with his position on things still would have respected the views of the parade and and, pay their respect towards it. Uh, Mayor Bloomberg always came. Mayor Giuliani always came. Uh, So I can't see why he he didn't want to come. But uh, as the man said, uh, if he didn't want to come, he won't be missed. What does it mean to you personally to march in the parade? Um, well, I'm a member of the Irish American community. I'm very proud of my Irish heritage. I, um, the idea that the parade organizers are dictating who can participate in an Irish family is reprehensible to me, and obviously even to people at home, because you see that the gay community can participate in Cork, in Dublin, in Galway, and Belfast. Certainly the Irish culture that I know is, you know, a very rich, vibrant, creative, kind, embracing culture. I mean, you want to talk about culture, many of the greatest writers have been gay. The arts has been never concerned about who your partner was. Um, So 
I, I basically was saying we all have the right to participate in our culture. It's not like the Catholics get to control the culture. Why is it that it's kind of the more patriarchal forces that get to define what culture is? When you really look at Irish culture, it's a vibrant, diverse, living, grieving, evolving thing. So, you know, stop this because it's not reflecting the best of what we are. Rona Tarrant sent us that report from New York. Finally, in honour of the National Saint, we bring you this extract from the Confessions of St. Patrick. My name is Patrick. I am a sinner, a simple country person, and the least of all believers. I am looked down upon by many. Although I am imperfect in many ways, I want my brothers and relations to know what I'm really like, so that they can see what it is that inspires my life. I am not ignoring the evidence of my Lord who testifies in the psalm, you destroy those who speak lies. And again he says, a mouth which lies kills the soul. And the same Lord says in the gospel, the idle words which people speak, they will account for on the day of judgment. So I should greatly dread with fear and trembling this sentence on that day, where nobody can avoid or escape, but all shall give complete account of the least of sins before the tribunal of the Lord Christ. This is why I have long thought to write, but up to now I have hesitated, because I feared what people would say. This is because I did not learn as others did, who drank in equally well both the law and the sacred writings, and never had to change their way of speaking since childhood, but always grew better and better at it. For me, however, my speech and words have been translated into a foreign language, as it can be easily seen from my writings, the standard of the instruction and learning I have had. As it is said, the wise person is known through speech, and also understanding and knowledge and the teaching of truth. However, even though there's truth in my excuse, it gets me nowhere. Now in my old age, I want to do what I was unable to do in my youth. My sins then prevented me from really taking in what I read. But who believes me, even were I to repeat what I said previously? I was taken prisoner as a youth, particularly young in the matter of being able to speak, and before I knew what I should seek and what I should avoid. That is why today I blush, and I'm afraid to expose my lack of experience, because I can't express myself with the brief words I would like in my heart and soul. If I had been given the same chance as other people, I would not be silent, whatever the reward. If I seemed to some to be too forward, with my lack of knowledge and my even slower tongue, still it is written, stammering tongues will quickly learn to speak peace. How much more should we want to do this, who are, as it is said, a saving letter of Christ, even to the ends of the earth? Although it is not well expressed, Still, this letter is genuinely and strongly written in your hearts, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit is a witness that what is of the countryside is also created by the Most High. So I am first of all a simple country person, a refugee, and unlearned. 
I do not know how to provide for the future, but this I know for certain, that before I was brought low, I was like a stone lying deep in the mud. Then he who was powerful came, and in his mercy pulled me out, and lifted me up, and placed me on the very top of the wall. That is why I must shout aloud in return to the Lord for such great good deeds of his, here and now forever, which the human mind cannot measure. That extract from the Confessions of St. Patrick bringing this week's packed programme to a close and we hope that you enjoy your celebrations of the National Saint on Monday next. Our phone number here is 01208 The email address is godslot at rte.ie and our postal address is the Godslot RTE Radio 1 Dublin 4. Until next Friday then, Banachti na Porik.